welcome to the Dharma Dad podcast. You can find out more at dharmadad.wordpress.com where you'll find an updated blog of regular thoughts about Buddhism and family life and where also you'll find a little bit more about me, Alex Lodge, the guy behind the Dharma Dad. So in this episode, I thought I would just reflect back on a piece that I've written on the Dharma Dad uh, blog sites. Uh, it's one of the more popular pieces that I've written. Um, it focuses on why uh, why choose Buddhism rather than just perhaps something like mindfulness. So the original piece is entitled Why Buddhism and Why Not Just Mindfulness. So I thought when I thought about writing this, um, it was a reflection of... Um, kind of conversation that I have quite regularly people are often quite confused when they come across me um I just think you know even just as a kind of modern western person why why I would be interested perhaps in in practicing something from a um from you know from like sort of an ancient eastern religion and you know what is the relevance of that uh it's probably even a bit more curious from my perspective and I think I, I mentioned this in the last episode uh that you know that, that I'm an atheist um my, my my feelings and the way that I express that have changed over time but really the kind of essential point of you know not really believing in a kind of magical being in the sky um hasn't changed I think maybe some of my reflections on the subtleties of what people are talking about when they talk about God or when they talk about higher powers and things maybe have changed and become a little bit more tolerant perhaps in terms of the way that I discuss those. Um, I think there was a time when I was a bit more of an advocate for kind of very uh, staunch atheism. Uh, But I think that was more of a case of kind of finding my way and finding my feet. But anyway, it does lead quite a few few people to be kind of curious as to why, you know, somebody who's like myself, who's been such a kind of uh, sort of strong viewed atheist would, 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 you know, would also then be a very kind of committed Buddhist. Uh, and next week, I am going to undergo a ceremony within the Tree Ratna Buddhist order um, called a Mitra ceremony. So this is where I will look to become a Mitra, um, sort of recognised by the Sangha of the Tree Ratna order and the people that I know from within that Sangha, and uh, will make a commitment publicly to being a Buddhist, to practicing Buddhist ethics and the precepts, the five precepts, um, on a daily basis and kind of integrating that into my life. And uh, I'm happy with um, Tree Ratna as a um, place for, for spiritual practice. So, um, you know, particularly at the moment, I'm kind of going through a real phase of deepening my practice. So, yeah, so I thought, here we go, I'd um, reflect back on this piece that I wrote, Why Buddhism? Why not just mindfulness? So when I tell people that I'm a Buddhist, when it comes up, I'm not on some conversion mission or something like that, I often get polite interest in quite a few questions about what that means and even more confusion when I also clarify that I'm simultaneously an atheist. So why bother with this Buddha character? Why get bogged down with all this religion, particularly when you're an atheist? Why not just use mindfulness and meditation? 
why worry about any of it, perhaps? So, I go into how mindfulness maybe appears to me. This is not to say how mindfulness is, but it's certainly just the way that I've interpreted mindfulness and how it comes across to me. And will help start painting a bit of a picture why I perhaps veered towards Buddhism more so than just a kind of mindfulness practice. So I often see mindfulness advertised or promoted as a great way to reduce stress and increase relaxation. And there are even places that you can go that would show you how mindfulness will help you improve on sporting techniques, like that golf swing maybe, or else get ahead in business. Mindfulness is often thrown in with the self-help section in most of our bookshops, and it's a nice addition to put alongside the real focuses that life is all about. So it's centred around, as a practice perhaps, that it kind of helps other parts of our life's lives, um, certainly in the Western world, that we consider to be more important, like the pursuit of money or the pursuit of sort of personal sporting activities. Um, you see a lot of this kind of conversation talk about mindfulness in this way around the business world. Um, and the, I work in the third sector in the charity sector, and still kind of mindfulness is used as this um, kind of an additional tool uh, tagged onto the side so mindfulness courses themselves can cost quite a lot of money and are really quite big business <clears throat> and i recently uh, came across quite an excellent discussion of um, the links between neoliberalism and mindfulness um, this is in a post by a blogger called traditional buddhism um, and if you go onto my blog uh, to the original article you can find a link to that uh, but if I kind of reduce it down just for a, a quick explanation here, they explained they explain effectively how mindfulness has been packaged up as another thing to consume within our society. So our society being kind of very centred around being a consumerist based society. Um, mindfulness just becomes another product that we can we can buy into. And it plays into the ego and gets lost in that wider way that society operates so that people become convinced that if they spend more money on the right course or the next level of the course, then they'll become happier. It gets lost as another goal, another consumable. Sorry, another consumable. You know, I think even at times, um, I think maybe in another blog, I kind of want to go into this, another, well, another blog piece or another podcast. You know, even I've kind of got tempted into that in the past of because meditation and mindfulness are not, you know, you don't quickly see results. They're not, it's not a panacea. Um, and so the temptation, I think, with our kind of Western world where we're focused on immediate gratification can be that we just want to get going and get to where we're going sort of straight away. And we're not um, we're not so interested in the journey. Um, and um, unfortunately, with kind of well, unfortunately or fortunately, whichever way you, you feel about this, mindfulness and meditation is very much about the journey, not the destination. So I've also seen some very interesting work. Um, that explains how corporate companies have co-opted uh, mindfulness in order to make us bear the unbearable. So again, on my blog, there's a link to this um, this article. But in other words, um, mindfulness is used to convince people that they need to be aiming to be blissed out and peaceful. And if they're not, then it's their own fault. And the way to remedy that is to practice mindfulness. Because you see, it's your responsibility, right? If you are not happy, you're not meditating enough. Get on with it. It has nothing to do with the fact that your pay has been cut and you've got no promotion prospects or that you're being bullied by your boss. Hells no. It's you, mate. You know, you're just not living in the moment enough. 
And that's really the thing, isn't it? You know, we've got so many things within our society that are really difficult and really nasty. And we've had like massive cuts to sort of public spending. And, you know, quite a lot of people are feeling quite rightfully um, pretty miserable, actually. Uh, and there's a real danger that um, that we're kind of convinced that it's our, our that it's our fault that we feel miserable and that you know that it's solely because we are not doing enough, um, and you know that, that we can be handed a cure like mindfulness on a plate that we can just practice and then we'll feel better and therefore if we're not doing that that's why we're feeling miserable rather than say perhaps because of all these kinds of things I've just discussed, um, and really that's a perversion of mindfulness um, and where mindfulness originated which was from Buddhism. So uh, what I don't want to do is kind of entirely dismiss mindfulness. Um, you know, and as a Buddhist myself, the practice of mindfulness is vitally important. Uh, it's how we transport our meditation off of the cushion and into everyday life. Um, you know, I think most people, when they sort of see or have an idea of uh, Buddhists and meditation itself, they kind of see it as being something that centers around sitting on a stool or a cushion on a mat um, and that, you know, that's where you do it and then you get on with the rest of your day. But actually mindfulness is how we move that meditation into our day-to-day -day activities. It's not easy. It's a difficult thing to do, actually. Um, but it gets easier the more you do it. Um, so, yeah, so, so mindfulness, um, the way that I'm discussing mindfulness is not to dismiss it as a skill because it's a vital skill, absolutely vital skill if you, if you practice meditation at all um, or if you practice any kind of spiritual path, I think. Um, but what I'm kind of really referring to is mindfulness when it's considered to be a practice in and of itself. So not mindfulness as part of something bigger, which is what I think it needs to be. And which is why I'm why I'll go on to say that I've kind of settled down on Buddhism rather than just mindfulness on its own. But that said, there is still merit in practicing mindfulness alone. And, you know, a lot of peace can be, you know, can come to you from just practicing, practicing mindfulness. And I can absolutely understand why people are not keen to kind of engage you know with religions um being an atheist i really 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 sympathize with that view um, it's not a simple thing uh, to just kind of start throwing yourself into religion i've got a lot of hang-ups um myself about about religion but for me kind of taking mindfulness on its own feels like stripping away a kind of very vital context in which the practice was developed so as i said yeah I, I i get why people don't want to get involved with religions um and i do have my own hang-ups about religions you know having been brought up in a kind of christian country i wasn't particularly brought up in a um a christian home i think i was always brought up with an understanding that there was a god or there was this kind of higher being uh but i attended a church of england school and uh, when i was younger even voluntarily attended an evangelical church and so I know quite a lot about uh, Christianity I think and feel quite sort of familiar with those teachings um, but you know the, the, the bottom line is when, whenever I kind of touched on those things I just found myself in a position where I didn't believe you know I don't believe in God uh, I have kind of a very clear memory from my childhood um, when uh, I was at school and uh, we were painting or sort of, well, we were drawing um, a kind of cartoon strip, a storyboard of the Easter story and of um, the reincarnation uh, or the coming, you know, the return of, of, of Jesus. Um, yeah, so he's obviously crucified and then he comes back to life and the stone rolls away. And I can remember very clearly kind of having a picture of a cave and the 
you know, having to sort of draw the stone as if it had been rolled away, um, which is how they obviously discovered that the tomb was empty and Jesus had risen again. And I remember kind of colouring in this storyboard, and I must have been about, I was in year five, so perhaps, you know, eight or nine, maybe ten, if I'm not getting that quite right. But I remember like looking around, colouring this in, and I distinctly remember this feeling, kind of looking up and thinking, but, you know, I know this isn't true. I know that this is clearly a story. People don't die and come back to life. That doesn't happen. Um, so why is everybody sat around taking this so seriously? And I kind of, I, that kind of sense of confusion, I remember all through kind of my primary school and any time I engaged with the church or, or Christianity, it's this thing of not quite understanding if people were taking it literally or not. Um, and I, I, I just never got on with that. Um, you know, what I, one of the things I've sort of really appreciated about coming to, to Buddhism, there's lots of stories about gods and archetypal sort of Buddhas and things, but they're not really handed over as a, as a, a literal teaching or as a literal thing but anyway I sort of digressed a little bit it's just to kind of point out I, I get I get why people you know maybe want to steer clear of a religion I really do I mean I've got my own feelings about it and then there are, you know it's not even just a perhaps way I personally feel about it but there's a lot of you know quite nasty things that can be attributed for, um, to religion throughout the world and we and I think we all know that um, but you know equally I suppose a lot of nastiness is carried out in the name of religion. Um, but, you know, it doesn't mean that the religion is the cause of that uh, or that belief is the cause of that. Um, I think people probably will have a tendency to fight and cause nastiness without anything like this anyway. Um, so there is obviously quite a lot of debate about whether Buddhism is a religion or a philosophy. Um, you know, I, I, don't really, I don't really want to get into that and I didn't get into that in the, in the blog either. Uh, and I'm not particularly the most scholarly sort of person, and I have I'm not going to claim to have the deepest knowledge of of Buddhism. Kind of all I can really reliably give you is my experience and kind of my reflections on my own practice. So, my experience has been mostly when you know that when people reflect on Buddhism, they will often say that it's not a religion. Um, and I think that, you know, that quite often people who will reflect and say that Buddhism is a philosophy and not a religion simply because they don't, they don't want to, don't want to be associated with a religion. Um, but I think, you know, really I, I've, I've, I've come to, I've, I've come to understand that, you know, Buddhism is a religion uh you know we don't understand it in quite quite the same way as you know one that's dominated by a god figure but but you know really i think ultimately it, it, it is it is a religion and um you know i'm not really i'm not really worried about that kind of a how it's kind of classified or you know how people see it um and i think actually the more i thought about that the more i thought it's reflected can kind of maybe more about me than it has about um, Buddhism itself. What what I'm worrying about when I when I'm worried about whether people maybe think that I'm engaging with a religion. So there are aspects of Buddhism that need to be perhaps taken on faith, uh, which you know maybe could push it more potentially into the realms of religion. There are things like the idea of enlightenment. Uh, which maybe might be considered to be the end game of Buddhism. But actually, 
having said that, there's actually quite a wealth of um, evidence uh, which points towards the sort of phenomena of enlightenment or awakening. Um, you know, again, in, in, the, in the blog pieces, I've got a few links, but, you know, most recently I kind of read a book uh, by Sam Harris, which is um, called Waking Up, The Search for Spirituality Without Religion. And, you know, Harris himself kind of looks at various aspects of neuroscience and evidence for kind of changes in the brain um, that, you know, that occur through meditation and mindfulness practice. Um, and then, you know, another really quite interesting um, thing to look at is um, there's a talk on uh, TED Talks, you know, the website TED, uh, by a chap, I'm not going to get the pronunciation right, but Matthew Ricard. And he, you know, he looks at similar themes. He's a, he was a chap, he was a scientist turned uh, Buddhist monk, French guy. And, um, you know, he's looked at some of the kind of brain scans and neuroscience behind uh, meditation, mindfulness, and, um, you know, changes in parts of the brain, like the primitive brain and the, the amygdala and aspects related to fight or flight and how those things change and even shrink and diminish over time through practice of meditation. So, you know, there is, um, there is a, you know, growing evidence base for uh, the benefits of meditation mindfulness, that I think, are quite well understood. So, but, you know, effectively, I think I'm, I'm quite happy now that, that I don't need to worry about whether or not it's a religion. Um, it doesn't really worry me. I feel like I'm, I'm a Buddhist and I kind of feel and know myself what that means. Um, and hopefully I'm starting to, to point something towards that now. Um, but what other people think about whether, whether Buddhism is a religion or a philosophy or not, um, my reflection ultimately is what, what does that really matter to me and you know, what impact does it have on my practice? And the answer really is none. Wow. Okay. So I don't know if this is just me, uh, <laughs> like an operator's error here, but blimey, the next piece, uh, the second part of this, I've tried to record. This is the third time. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, so if you're listening to this, you're, you're very much a guinea pig. For, for my trying out podcast but I'm going to try now to go into the second part of uh, why I chose Buddhism rather than just mindfulness uh, I'm going to get back to that a little bit so Buddhism um, and what it means to me then Buddhism goes back around about two and a half thousand years uh, to the time of Siddhartha Gautama uh, the person who mean through you know through means that are open to all of us reached a state of perfect awakening, um, became enlightened, became a Buddha. Now, what a lot of people don't necessarily understand is that Buddha is not a name, it is a title, it means perfectly enlightened one. Um, and so since then, generations upon generations have found freedom from suffering by following the path that the Buddha laid down. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of go wrong, because they often think that you know, Buddhist practice is purely about mindfulness and meditation, but actually it's so much more than that. Um, Buddhism, Dharma, um, which is the teachings of the Buddha, um, yeah, is, is, is more than just mindfulness and meditation. You know, the Buddha set out a practice which enables us to understand how we can also reach a, a perfect awakening or enlightenment. So the Buddha... Essentially, he discovered why we feel dissatisfied and disconnected from our lives. You know, I think a lot of us can feel this way. We have 
Um, maybe we experience things like anxiety. You know, we feel disconnected and restless about our day-to-day basis. We feel worried about things. We feel a certain sense of unease and spend a lot of time worrying and thinking that we wish things could be different or that we should be doing something. Maybe we, that we should be occupying our time. You know, a lot of people avoid a kind of restless, anxious state by indulging in, um, you know, it might be in drugs and alcohol. It might be binging on Netflix, zoning out to soaps on TV or, you know, even kind of other sort of things, maybe even things like exercise, whatever it is. If we're trying to sort of avoid what our real experience of things are, things are you know, we will find a sense of dissatisfaction, sense of discomfort and disconnection. Um, but also it might be the other end of the spectrum. So, we, you know, life is unsatisfactory in the opposite way, that we can feel quite down and quite low and quite immobile, quite depressed. We can find ourselves feeling this way and not really knowing why. And what the Buddha discovered is not only that much of life, life is this way, but he also outlined a very clear way of coming out of that. And that's where Buddhism goes beyond just meditation or mindfulness. So I'm not going to really go into loads and loads of detail here. Um, but the Buddha, effectively, he, he, he outlined a way um, that we can behave and that we can act in order to overcome some of this feeling. Um, and he gave us an idea, the way, the way that he did this is he gave us an idea of how an awakened person or an enlightened person uh, might act. And that would give us an example to to live our lives by. And um, the, the sort of clear ways that he did this were within um, what are called the precepts. So there's traditionally five precepts um, set out that Buddhists follow. And the Tri Ratna Buddhist order, which I'm associated with, um, they, they, they actually sort of describe these under the teachings of Samharachita as negative precepts. So because they tell us what we shouldn't do. Or what we should avoid, I suppose, is a better way of saying it. So the first one is, I undertake to abstain from taking life. Second one is, I undertake to abstain from taking the not given. Third is, I undertake to abstain from sexual misconduct. The fourth is, I undertake to abstain from false speech. And the fifth is, I undertake to abstain from taking intoxicants. So as you can see, they're sort of laid out in terms of things we should avoid and what we shouldn't shouldn't do um in order to, to become awakened but i'm i'm really quite drawn to the way that sangharachita has um set out the positive precepts so i'm more inclined when i'm working with people i work in a kind of solution focused way or a strength-based way and so i quite like um looking at what we should do and put it in the po- put it in a positive spin on things and i quite like the sangharachita has outlined outlined um positive precepts so the first one being with deeds of loving kindness I purify my body. Second is, with open-handed generosity, I purify my body. Third is, with stillness, simplicity and contentment, I purify my body. And the fourth, with truthful communication, I purify my speech. And lastly, the fifth one, with mindfulness clear and radiant, I purify my mind. So the idea is that in a Buddhist practice, that these things are taken into your, your daily life in kind of combination with some of the other factors like the Four Noble Truths and Noble Eightfold Path. Um, you know, there's 
and many many teachings within Buddhism, but these are kind of the, some of the core, the core Buddhist teachings which sort of form how a Buddhist might live their day to day life. So nobody's expected to be perfect. You know, these aren't seen as commandments of things that you should or shouldn't do, uh, but they give a, a general guide of how to behave um, or how to act in a way that would help you kind of reach a point of enlightenment, enlightenment yourself. Um, so just today I um, put out a blog about um, metta, which is the loving kindness, and that's one of these precepts here is the deeds of loving kindness, I purify my body. And I think quite often, you know, we might think that we're maybe not necessarily being outwardly horrible to people, but um, we might not as be as mindful as about being compassionate to people as we could be. And the point is about com compassion, kindness, you know, it makes us feel better when we do that for other people. It makes them feel better. And it also reduces the sort of situations in which, you know, we might feel guilty or anxious about how we've acted towards somebody. And so it teaches, like a, you know, it gives us a really good, aim for how to sort of be day to day you know acting with um, deeds of loving kindness and secondly on here you know the open-handed generosity so there's a lot about giving to others now we know i think we're just coming up to christmas now um well we will be shortly maybe too quickly for some of us um but you know open-handed generosity we know that feeling it's better to give a gift than it is to receive one um and giving to others you know makes us feel genuinely better you know, we can't live a contented life, actually, if we're taking from others and we're not being mindful of, of giving things. Um, so that's set out quite clearly within Buddhism, this idea of dana, giving to others. Stillness, simplicity and contentment. So a lot of Buddhism talks about living simply and not having too much sort of th too many things going on in our lives that it's make, a, make us feel too chaotic or, or um, like we can't connect with ourselves. And so that's what that's about there, really. Kind of living more simply, focusing on what we're doing, being in the moment. Truthful communication. So this isn't just about, you know, not telling lies. But truthful communication means about, you know, other times when we might find ourselves not being fully committed to the truth. Now, one of the times I feel this comes up quite a lot for myself uh, might be kind of during work where we feel like we maybe we need to put on a certain front, we need to present um, a certain side of ourselves, maybe to be impressive or else to demonstrate that we have skills. And those things might be true, you know, we might have those skills, but it's not reflecting the whole side of us. We might exaggerate maybe particular qualities of ourselves. And I think that's something that it's quite natural we find ourselves doing all the time. Or else you might find it within certain social circles, maybe with friends, where you feel like you need to act or behave in a certain way, or you won't be understood, or you know you won't feel like you're conforming to a certain norm that was within that social group and so you're not entirely truthful about maybe what you're interested in or what you believe about something and so lastly then with mindfulness clear and radiant i purify my body so mindfulness and meditation obviously play a very key part of buddhism um and I'm not going to go into that too deeply. I think I've kind of covered a lot of what we, we know to be the benefits of mindfulness and meditation. Um, but Buddhist practice takes them no much as being a part of the practice, not the whole practice. Um, and, but you know, Buddhists often sort of stress that practice continues beyond the cushion. So it's not just where you sit and meditate that counts. It's kind of the actions that we're involved with everywhere throughout our day. That's, that's what the kind of 
spiritual growth and spiritual development is about. Ultimately then, for me, what is missing perhaps from mindfulness is the way that we integrate this into to our everyday life that we get from the different layers of Buddhism. Um, you know, when I, so my, so my, my focus mostly in creating this blog, this podcast is, um, you know, on parenting and um, raising children, for, for example. And I think that what the Buddhist precept, what Buddhist practice, the teachings of the Buddha really give me are a really good guide about how to, you know, raise them in the world and about how to, you know, practice patience and, you know, teach them to sort of talk kindly to others and to, you know, to, to act in a generous way. All these kind of qualities that, you know, fair enough, they don't have to come from Buddhism, they could probably come from other places, but it's nice to have a space to go to that gives a really good framework of how to behave in a certain way. And I talked a little bit about in the workplace and about how it can be beneficial there. But to me, you know, Buddhism is deeply relevant. Or Dharma practice is deeply relevant on a day-to-day basis. Um, it isn't just a very archaic or old religion that's kind of gone out of time. It's really, really relevant to our day-to-day way of living. So what I hope I did in, in this episode uh, is to give a bit more of an idea about maybe how Buddhism is relevant and about why I think it's relevant um, and how I think you know maybe I could share that with others. What I hope I haven't done is been too harsh on mindfulness because I do think it has its place. I do think it has its merits and I do think it really helps people. And I also understand why people don't maybe want to engage with religion um, or what they see as a religion. And that, that can be a bit full on. I think short of practicing Buddhism, the mindfulness, mindfulness and meditation are great tools uh, in, in living uh, in a more peaceful sort of way. And I think also a lot of the merit that can be gained through um, practicing a Buddhist practice, you know, can be begin to be accessed through practicing mindfulness and meditation. And I don't by any stretch think that all mindfulness practitioners out there are people looking for a fast buck or looking to rip other people off um it's just that i've oh and so, you know and also certainly to say that they, you know, there are people within um the buddhist world or other um spiritual practices who really are trying to look to rip people off um you know i myself have come across some really big egos within the um spiritual practitioner world and um a lot of spiritual sort of one-upmanship um that happens and there are definitely some frauds out there so you know by by going towards buddhism you by no means would you avoid um some of the phonies out there uh i just think that for me mindfulness practice has never just been enough on its own and i think that's what i'm trying to, to trying to get across and i'm also trying to get across some of the uh some of the things to avoid i suppose so i am very suspicious of um you know mindfulness courses which are advertised at a great cost you know understandably there are people that practice this stuff and they need to make a living um and certainly you know buddhism's full of um, aspects of dana which is considered donation which is making a contribution towards people and their time for giving teachings and, and helping us with skills so there's nothing wrong with that but i am very 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 um skeptical and cynical i suppose 
about a kind of corporate mindfulness. And I would just advise everybody to be on the watch out for that stuff. You know, mindfulness shouldn't encourage us to ignore what's happening in the real world. It shouldn't cause us to ignore what's happening in our own real lives. You know, we can take action. We shouldn't sit back and be stone Buddhas, just sat there meditating on one spot, not engaging with the world around us. You know, we need to be involved. We need to be involved with our families. We need to be involved with our communities. We need to be connected. We don't need to be just using meditation and mindfulness as a way to kind of just take things on the chin. Um, And we also shouldn't be, you know, just looking at it as a way to kind of line our pockets with cash. Um, Selling it to a market as another consumable product. It's about so much more than that. It's about growth and development in ourselves. It's about reaching our kind of potential, um, expanding happiness within ourselves and being better people for, you know, those we love um, and for ourselves. Uh, And whenever we're practicing anything like this, I think that really the true gains are what, what are gained for other people around us. And that's where the real kind of heart of this comes in. So, yes. Thanks for listening. Bit longer this time. Apologies if you've not made it this far or got bored throughout hearing me kind of chatter on and I'll catch you again.